0: Welcome to the conclusion of Let's Start With Jesus, a five-week series designed to help us understand the basics of the most influential and most interesting man in the world. Today, we are asking, who was Jesus? The Gospels record multiple times that Jesus taught about his own identity. On one occasion, he has this discussion with his disciples— When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not not learn this from any human being. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17.
1: All right, we got sound on me today. I know last week I uh, forgot, or the week before, I keep forgetting to turn my mic on. I just want to say on my way over from Patterson, um, I was watching on YouTube. So, well, am I allowed to say that? I just confessed that I was watching YouTube while I was driving. Um, yeah, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I just happened to notice this morning on YouTube um, That uh, I know Albert and Andrew, who's over here to my left, they've been spending a lot of time trying to improve our online experience for people that still are not feeling comfortable being in person with us or just due to the fact that many of our families have relocated, but they're wanting to stay connected. And I was literally almost moved to tears with what I was seeing on uh, on the presentation on the other end of it. And so, guys, thank you. I know that um, I, I know they're actually frantically working on things, but I do think it's um, worthy of honor. Uh, this isn't just natural. There were a lot of churches that were prepared for the pandemic because they already had an online video in, in ministry. And but it was just something that we as a church did not put resources towards. We value the in-person aspect of it, but we learned through the pandemic that we need to be ready in this day and age for a lot of different things. And so we've been catching up. And so today, Albert, um, Lana, Jason, Andrew, um, and even Maddie, I know you've been giving up your man so that we could get this done. So thank you guys so much for all you're doing. I don't know if you caught it. It, You know, the jingle afterwards that kind of led to the little Atari video may have may have drowned out the remembrance of this. But did you catch what Jesus said to Peter at the end of the verses that Albert read to us? He actually said to Peter, you did not figure this out on your own. Now, is that not a statement to our culture today? I mean, we are a very smart people, aren't we? We are confident people. We can research and study and and come up with a whole lot of things. But when Peter responded to this text, we're going to spend a lot of time in today, he said to Peter, It has been revealed to you. I think this is really important. It's going to be a very big part of our discussion today because there is a supernatural learning that can take place in our life if we allow ourselves to put our eyes on Jesus. Now, some of you in the room, I know your story. I already know you believe in Jesus. So this. This series, this approach isn't necessarily going to be something where you're like, wow, that sermon really moved me. But my desire for this today is for you to grow in your faith so that when people are around you, you move them through the supernatural power of God. So where they, they just start making statements around you, like I mean, being around you, I now get to see that Jesus is... And you're like, you know what? That same spirit that revealed that to me is now revealing that to you. This is what's beginning to happen here. We're following the ways of Jesus and his disciples and their disciples and their disciples. And now 2,000 disciple years later in that cycle, we are now still learning about Jesus, still learning how to talk about him. And so the point of today as we end this five-week series is for you and I to understand what Jesus thought about himself. This is really important because I don't want to ever teach anything about Jesus that that Jesus doesn't claim about himself. And I also think it's really important to look at the disciples who were with Jesus and what did they believe about Jesus and when did they come to believe that about Jesus? Because many a times we lose sight of the fact that when we're reading the words of Jesus, the disciples have not yet had the last supper experience yet. They have not yet seen him crucified. They have not yet seen him resurrected. They have not yet walked around with him for 40 days after the resurrection. They have not gazed up into heaven watching him ascend. Whatever that would have looked like, they have not had any of those experiences yet. Peter had none of those experiences in this chapter. This is all before that. So my prayer for those of you that do not believe, whether you're watching online today or this week or even in this room, you might not yet believe in Jesus My prayer is that you will take time to think about what's being said to you. That you will also take time to understand that God has been revealing His love to all of His creation since the day He created it. And that includes you. He has been revealing His love, and that love includes us in this room here today. And He wants to communicate truth to you. I believe the question that Jesus asks his disciples is a really good question for us to ask ourselves here today. Who do you say that I am? So maybe framing it, who do we say Jesus is, is ultimately the goal. But right now, we're putting ourselves in this moment, Jesus and his disciples. Who do you say that I am? So Jesus talks to them on multiple occasions throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four testimonies that we have of the things that jesus did and jesus taught and and we're looking at these witness accounts and we're and so today i'm going to try to summarize what i have found in the four gospels in the ways that jesus believed about himself i think this is really important and the things that the disciples believed now so i put them in three categories i'm going to give them to you right up front it's all in your notes there's more in the app That I can even deliver to you today in cross references. I want to encourage you to get comfortable using our church app, use the notes feature. It's a way that we can expand our understanding and our teaching. And if you're online, you can do the same as we go through this. But he believes this about himself he believes he's a revealer, he believes he's a rescuer, and he believes he's a ruler. I I think it's really important. Some of you that have gone to church a lot in your life and grown up in other traditions may have come to hear it this way. Does this resonate with you that have been to church? Prophet, priest, and king. Okay, so I'm choosing today to put it in a little bit different terminology, especially for those of you that do not yet believe, because what did a prophet do? He revealed God. What did a... um, uh, what did a priest do? He, he, he participated in his sacrifices that delivered them, right? There was also the, the ruling aspect of what, is, what does a king do? He tells the people how to live. And Jesus is putting himself in all three of these categories. So let me go back to Matthew 16. It says, when Jesus came to, to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and next year we're going to talk a lot about the region of Caesarea Philippi, just giving you a foreshadowing. But the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the son of man is? I think this is important. Jesus didn't just come right out and say, who do you, who do you say I am? He actually called himself something here in this question. A son of man. And I, I want to help us understand that Jesus is talking to Jewish people here. It's very important. Because there was a, a prophecy that it was going to come from this family, this special family, the Jewish people. This special deliverer that was going to come and jesus is coming to them and through them to the non-jews gentiles Which ultimately gets to us So there's this arc of narrative throughout the scriptures of how god was showing his love to the world But jesus here by saying son of man is making a statement about himself That he believed and the statement is found in Daniel chapter 7. We don't have time to read it all here today. So let me just kind of give you the flow of what Daniel 7 talks about. For in the Jewish perspective, they believed that one day a special human being was going to come. And that special human was going to have supernatural powers. And not just supernatural powers, there was going to be a uniqueness on them, so unique that it was almost godlike if not God like. This was the prophecy found in Daniel chapter 7. The son of man, would have been a Jewish phrase that the disciples would have picked up on, would have immediately brought all that prophetic words from Daniel 7 to them. And so, they replied. I wonder if they all replied at one time, or if it's like one of those moments in a group where one person says something and another person says something another person, but they all were participating. It's not just Peter. They all were participating. Some say John the Baptist and maybe another person. Some say Elijah and then some still other prophets and Jeremiah and, 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 or one of the other prophets. But Jesus, I feel like, leaned into them and said, well, what do you think? Like This, 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 this is important to Christ and it's important for us. What do you think? Yes, we're a church, and it's about the we, but there comes a moment where it has to be somewhat individual, where we're like, it's important because what you think impacts the rest of us. What I think impacts the rest of us. And so Jesus is leaning in and saying, but what do you think? He asked, who do you say that I am? And I want us to understand here, again, I want to say this again, a little redundant, sorry for that. But the disciples are still figuring out how special he really is. Some of you in this room are still figuring out how special Jesus Christ really is. They knew he was special. They had already witnessed some of his special acts. They've already heard some of his miraculous teachings. And they were trying to make sense of it all. And they knew he was special. But Simon Peter speaks up and he says, You are the Messiah, which is a Jewish phrase or word, Messiah. And Son of the Living God, Jewish phrase, prophetic words. And listen, Peter is saying, Messiah, that's powerful. God is saying to to Peter only, or Jesus is saying to Peter, something supernatural revealed that to you. You could not have come up with that on your own. So we find that in Matthew 16. And so trying to understand this Matthew 16 teaching apart from the Jewish context and understanding really does limit us. So let me tell you about the three words, the three names that Jesus refers to himself or the disciples refer to Jesus as in this passage. Son of man. The son of man is a unique supernatural messenger from God. So Jesus believed that about himself and Jesus' disciples are believing that about him. He is a unique supernatural messenger from God. The Messiah is mentioned here. This was, according to Jewish prophecy, God's chosen, revealer, rescuer, and ruler. It was everything in one word, Messiah. So when they thought of Messiah, they knew that something powerful was leading them. And the Son of God, the one who somehow carries the essence of the Almighty God, like this man was the essence of the Almighty God. And so let me go back and remind you of week one. Some of you may have missed this teaching. I want to Encourage you to go back and listen to all the weeks, but in week one at the end, I mentioned that there's really three different types of learners. There's people that are head people, thinkers, and you need me to intellectually challenge you to understand Jesus. Others of you are feelers, heart. You want to you want to be in it, and and if it's true, you want to feel it, right? It's, it's it's if it's if it's right, you're like man. If, I, if it's it's if it, if she's the one, I'll know it, right? And others of you are hands. You won't believe it until you touch it. Just ask your parents. The stove is hot. Is it? Right? You know who you are. And we even see it amongst some of the children in the room right now. Right? We know, oh, they're a hands person. That, there's the thinker. Right? Oh, there's the feeler. Right? And so we bring that type of, of, of I want you to bring who you are to Jesus. If you're a thinker, think. If you're a feeler, feel. If you're a doer, we need, to, we need to create some opportunities through our small group life and other ways for you to listen to what Jesus says and touch and feel it so that you can truly begin to understand who Jesus is. Um, so let me start. Let's dive into Revealer. The Revealer in the understanding of the Gospels. This was Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet, the word of God. These are all things that are described of him by people that are looking at him, things that Jesus believed about himself. But there was something powerful about him that I want to spend a little bit of time looking at what some of the disciples said about him and what Jesus even claimed about himself. But at the heart of a revealer is the fact that he is revealing the heart of God. He is revealing who God really is. That was what Jesus believed about himself. So look at John. John was one of his disciples. He even calls himself the beloved disciple. In many paintings of the Lord's table, John is the one reclining as a youth against Jesus' chest because it was like he and had a special relationship. John was the one that bragged that he beat Peter to the tomb because Peter was old and slow, Right? This is John. This is what John came to understand about Jesus. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Now this phrase closest relationship with God if you go back to the original language is really referring to the fact that he is like the one that came out of the chest of God. That's why the heart's is used as the revelation of God's heart. So if we want to know what the chest of God is like, look at Jesus. If we were to surgically open God up and we were to want to know what, is, what makes him tick, like what is he really on the inside? It's Jesus. That's what this verse in John began to understand. I mentioned last week in John 18, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, calmly before his crucifixion, he says to Pilate, I came to testify to the truth. And then you go on in John 14, Jesus goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus believed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. This isn't what just other people were saying about him. This is what he thought about himself. And in John 6, he goes on to say this. He says, I'm the bread of life. Feast on me. And so for those of you that are hands, this is for you. You can get in there with Jesus Touch and feel. Go through his teachings. Start to act out some of the things. And you're going to find that he is life-giving if we put into practice his miraculous teachings to us. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The, The disciples were learning that. Jesus believed that. In Deuteronomy 18, there was a verse mentioning, I will raise up from them a prophet like you, speaking to Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. Jesus knew that. He knew that prophecy. He knew that phrase. He knew the example of Moses. Moses was a distinct prophet. Moses met the children of Israel where? In Egypt, in slavery. They were slaves for hundreds of years. Child to granddad to great granddad, all the way down. Generations of slavery. Moses met them there, revealed God to them, rescued them out of it and then began to guide them towards their promised land so there's so much of the correlation between jesus and moses this revealer of god this rescuer of god and that god was going to put his words in his mouth as he told moses don't worry about your stuttering problem i'm going to put my words in your mouth jesus is now saying i am speaking to you what my father has told me to say to you all right so he's talking to jewish people here i want you to understand this Most of these texts are Jesus speaking to the Jewish audience. So they would have thought of Moses in all of this. And Jesus says, or John records Jesus saying in John chapter 6, The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. The one who looks at me, this is Jesus' quote out of John 12. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Powerful. Jesus is saying, look at me, look at me. I mean, it almost sounds like he has a huge ego, if we could just say this just for a moment. Like, notice me, notice me, look at me, look at me. Stop looking over there, look at here, look at me. Like, if you ever been in a room with somebody that wants the attention. I mean, Jesus wants the attention. He wants us to look at him. Why would he be so confident if the things about him weren't true? Who stands up in front of a, a crowd and gets respect by saying, look at me, look at me? Generally, you walk away from people like that. But the people that were watching Jesus were saying, man, the more I look at him, the more I just am like, it has to be true. So he goes on in John chapter 1 to say, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus is a revealer, but he's also a rescuer. Jesus as Savior, we talked about it in Deuteronomy, and Deliverer, the cross of Jesus is the center point of his rescuing act, Jesus saw himself as the one who came to save us. This is what he believed about himself. Very truly, I tell you, John records Jesus saying, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. All right, now let me come back to the Jewish context. I think this is important. Because to the Jewish people right then and there, who did they think they were a slave to? Rome. Rome. Just like in Moses' day, they were a slave to Egypt, and so all along the people of Israel always thought they were enslaved to some foreign captor. And Jesus is coming to reveal, no, you've always been a slave to sin, and I am taking away the sin. And so, to these Jewish people, they would have been like, "Oh my goodness, he's now changed this way." We Rome is the one. See the Roman soldiers all around us; they would have been visible. And like, no, I've come to free you from yourself, from the sin that is enslaving you. And he goes on to say this, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. John recording Jesus' words in John 8. Jesus saw himself as the one who was coming to lead us out of the slavery of our own sin. The son of man did not come. Jesus's words recorded in Mark chapter 10. The son of man did not come to serve, but to, excuse me, to be served, but to serve Jesus. Rewind. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Mark said. Jesus said. So Jesus is believing this about himself. So let's get closer to what I really feel like is the essence of who he thought he was. Jesus saw himself as a ruler, the son of God himself, a ruler, Jesus as the son of God, God. The Greek word here to describe all of this really is a word that I can't pronounce, but it's it means one of a kind. Jesus thought he was one of a kind. He's in a category all by himself. Listen to what Paul said about Jesus as ruler, son of God to the Roman church in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this was this became one of the early creeds in the early church, those three words, Jesus is Lord. Every time they gathered, the creed was Jesus is Lord. They would say it out loud. It was practiced in their gatherings. Somehow they would enter, it It was rhythmic. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. They greeted each other. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It became the statement, not Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. And I think it's important. Jesus is the ruler over all. If you and I believe this, we are saved. But he's ruler. We follow him as Lord. We don't follow him as Savior. He came to rescue, yes. But we follow him because he is our rightful Lord. He's our rightful ruler. And Jesus tells a very interesting story in Mark chapter 12. Mark records this story. I don't have time to read all 12 verses of this story. But this is how the story goes. The father sent a servant to tell a people a message. They kill him. The father sends another servant to tell the people a message. They kill him. The father sends another servant to tell the people a message. They kill him. The father sends another servant to tell the people a message. They kill him. The father finally turns to his son. Son, go tell them the message, and they kill him. But he says, my son's the last. There won't be another because he's all of it. And that's what Jesus believed about himself. He's looking at all of the Jewish history, all of the prophets, all of the messengers, all of the death, all of the killing, all of the things that we did as slaves to sin, not slaves to Egypt, not slaves to the Assyrians, not slaves to the Babylonians, not slaves to the Romans or anybody else that we can find that Israel was enslaved to. They were a slave to their sin, just like the rest of us. And Jesus is saying, the reason why you keep killing my messengers is because there's sin in your life. You're 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 held captive by the things that you believe are true, but they're not true And i'm here to tell you the truth so that you can be free John actually goes on to talk about jesus in his opening Verses in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god John was trying to make sense of this. They had no trinity understanding They had no idea father son holy spirit when john is writing this He was trying to figure it out. So you know how john worded it? He was with God and he was God. And then you find the pattern continuing with God and was God with God and was God. And the more that we are drawn in, we find that there's a way to be with God and was God. And it all fits together. And we're, we're coming up with words to describe the father, the son, the spirit, three in one. But I'll just tell you what, there's God revealing himself to us. And I think it's very important for me to come back to this Jewish understanding. Because you want to know why many of them wanted to push him off a cliff in one chapter. Others were picking up stones to stone him and he slipped away. They were plotting politically and religiously to kill him. Can I tell you why? Because they were a monotheistic culture. The Jewish people were monotheistic. They only had one God. And now Jesus is saying, that one God that you believe in, it's me. So imagine for a moment what you believe. And somebody stepped into this room and told you something about what you believed about God. And you're like, wait a minute, everything about the God I believe in, you're saying is you? There's a, there, this, was, this is what the disciples were going through. Do you understand why they were so confused and many times Peter misspoke? As he was working through what he believed about the one true God, and now he's seeing Jesus in the flesh, trying to make sense of it all. And so there's so much of that that is happening here throughout our lives and throughout the disciples' lives that we can lean into. But I love the way that John summarizes what they experienced in Jesus in John 1.18. He says, no one has ever seen our God, our one God, but the one And only son. So he was saying the son had seen him. And then he goes on and says, who is himself God in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. So he was wrestling through his monotheistic belief and trying to understand Jesus being there eating with him and walking with him and reclining against him and the intimate times in the boat and all the things that he had experienced thinking I had just touched in flesh my God. He's figuring all of this out. And we're getting ready to turn the calendar into the Christmas season. Anybody going to say amen to that? (laughs) Apparently, all our Christmas presents are on boats that aren't being unloaded. (laughs) Um, But that's, uh, sorry, that was just a, I don't know where that came from. It was on the news this morning, I guess. Um, But, uh, so just better order it now or it won't be here by the 25th of December. Um, But uh, Matthew 23 gives Jesus a singular name. That's on most Christmas cards starting after Thanksgiving. What name is he given? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? So Matthew's experience, who obviously wasn't a disciple, was an early believer. As he's writing witness to this, he is saying, we experienced him as God with us. And then Thomas. Thomas, we all can relate to. His nickname is what? Doubting Doubting Thomas. Thomas. All right. Um, and his, when he missed the first revelation of Jesus after the resurrection, the disciples are in the room talking about, Oh man, we saw Jesus and Mary and Martha are talking and Hey, we saw Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And Thomas is like, uh, and then next thing you know, the door is locked. I mean, what would that have been like? I wouldn't have been talking. I'd have been on the floor. like, You know, like this, you just scared me to death. Jesus, like. I think you're Jesus. You just walked through a wall, Jesus. I mean, but Thomas, listen to his response. He didn't say my Savior. He says my Lord and my God. That was everything Thomas had experienced finally hit him. He was head, heart, and hands. Thomas was all of it. He had the head stuff. He had the heart stuff. He had all those experiences, but finally had gotten to be into all of it. And next thing you know, his statement is, my Lord and my God. And I didn't. And Jesus doesn't correct him. He doesn't say, you know what, Jesus, I'm just a prophet. I'm just a teacher. I just came back from the dead. He says this to him. Jesus said to him, John 20, because you have seen me, you have believed. Because blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Thomas got the benefit of seeing, so he could believe. But there's a blessing all the way extended down to you and I. That we didn't see, but yet we believe. And let me tell you what Jesus, Jesus confidently said this. There wasn't like a wishful thinking. Jesus confidently believed that what Thomas stated my Lord and my God, would be clear enough for generations to come that other people could confidently say he's my Lord and my God, but they haven't seen him. That's how confident Jesus was in what he was doing and where he was taking people. He's saying, I have left enough for everybody to see that I am Lord and I am God. So here's the, here's my way i want to try to draw this to a conclusion for those of you that don't believe uh, let me have your attention and for those of you that do i want you to learn how to talk people through this how do we follow jesus today let's invite people on this let me invite you on this the first thing that i believe you need to do if you're going to follow jesus is you need to get to know everything jesus taught you need to know who Jesus is. You need to be able to answer it. You can't just listen to this teaching one time. You need to investigate. Whoever you know that goes to church, bug them to death. Tell me about Jesus. Read the red letters in the gospels or just read John's gospel. You just need to get in there and read it and know what he said because if it is true, it's going to demand something of us. So I don't want you to just learn what he taught. The second thing is I want you to count the cost. And this is what I think has happened in generations that I grew up in. We wanted Jesus to save us so there was no cost. So that we would just get the benefits of heaven. But if what I read to us today about Jesus being our ruler, and that he wants to be our Lord, then that means that we have to align our life with our Lord. I don't just get a get out of hell free card so i can go live however the i want to live i have to follow my lord he's the ruler paul told the church confess jesus is lord and you will be saved so we've got to figure out how what what the cost is You need to know and measure that cost. There's a powerful story in Luke 14 of a man who came up to Jesus and said, I'm ready to follow you. And Jesus' response was, are you sure? And the man walked away because he didn't count the cost. The third thing I want you guys to do, so you get to know Jesus through what he taught, you count the cost, and then you just need to commit your life. You just need to say, yes, Thomas, yes, my Lord and my God. That's as simple as it is. You just confess it. But you don't just do it privately where you just say, okay, Jesus, I believe in you. You need to do that, but you need to confess it publicly because this is good news. This is celebratory. We're now joining in with other brothers and sisters. So now you publicly announce. We do that through the Lord's table, which has now been condensed to these little cups. We do that through baptism, which we haven't had the tank in here in a while. We need to get the tank ready. Because people need a public announcement that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my God. He is my revealer of who God is. He is the one who's rescued me from my sin. And I'm going to follow him because he's my true king. And so once you've done those three things, you get to know what Jesus taught. You count the cost. You commit your life to him. Then the fourth thing that the early church learned to do is they learned to invest in each other. It wasn't a, I'm glad I'm saved. There was a cost in family familial relationship because they were now learning to live in a kingdom different than all the kingdoms of the world. And God somehow decided to use family language, father, sons, and daughters in a community, in a body working together. We have got to figure out how to draw closer to each other so that we can draw closer to him because if we have a closeness with him and a closeness with each other paul told the church in corinth that if we learn to live in god's will and god's ways and we're following after him we are a sweet aroma to other people can i just say that the church has had a stench of death on it why would anybody want to be a part of such a hateful bunch of people why would people want to be around people that are judgmental and critical, that don't care for each other, where somebody has an abundance on one side of the room and somebody on the other side of the room has a need and we're not sharing those things? People see it and it doesn't smell good. But we as a church can have the, a fragrance, the aroma of Christ on us, so much so that God uses it in a supernatural way to reveal to them something that they could never come up with on their own. And that is that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all. That is what we can, we can begin to see through this. And then Jesus himself said this of himself, and I'll bring this to a close. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you realize that that's a prayer of Jesus? He's talking to the Father in this statement. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, talking about himself, whom you have sent. He is saying that the purpose is for people to know God, and he wants people to know God. Thomas, my Lord and my God is our response. My Lord and my God. So today, just to summarize it, Jesus is the revealer of God's heart. If people want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Jesus is the rescuer. He is the one that saves us from the slavery of sin. Jesus is the ruler, the king of a new covenant kingdom. And if he's king, we have to align ourselves with his will and his ways. We don't just get to go to his kingdom palace someday. We start living in his wills and way, His will and way now. Let me pray for us. Father, for my brothers and sisters that do believe, may we not lose sight of the fact that you are our Lord and you are our God. We thank you for freeing us from sin. But Father, we want to recommit ourselves to saying your will, your ways are what we want. And Father, for those that are still considering believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, Father, would you continue to have them investigate everything they can about who you are? Would you give them the discipline to count the cost? And then, Father, in that supernatural, miraculous way, Would you give them the Thomas words, my Lord, my God? And then, Lord, would we become the family that you want us to be, a group of people seeking to do your will and your way? Father, please answer that prayer amongst us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, guys, uh, we're getting ready to take the Lord's table. Andre has a basket, so if you didn't grab one of these. Um, would you let's let him know and he'll bring that to you and while he's doing that i'll just take a moment does anybody have a question that i could respond to regarding the teaching today before we take the lord's table yes sir remind me the name frank good to see you man yes Yeah, um, yeah, in understanding uh, your question, Frank, um, to the people listening online that may not have been able to hear, um, how do you talk to a Jewish person about the Daniel 7 prophecy? Anybody need anything from Andre over here? All right. Um, how do we talk to somebody that might be Jewish? That's a very unique scenario. Um, not many of us have um, practicing Jewish friends. So my first response to this is the way that Jesus revealed himself to Jewish people. is He said, look at what I'm teaching and look at what I'm saying so that you can begin to understand. Because a lot of Jewish people, when you're approached by a Christian, if you've ever had a Jewish friend, they believe that they were blessed by God up until Jesus showed up. And then when Jesus showed up, they lost all their blessings. They're all going to hell. Um, and so before Jesus, we're fine, covered sacrifices and things. So having a conversation with a Jewish person about Jesus is very important because they need to be able to see the correlation between Moses. I would encourage a Jewish friend to read the Gospel of Matthew over the other three Gospels because Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience to prove the lineage of Christ, mentioning specific names as the introduction of Emmanuel, God with us, and then walk them through personally like you're not going to do this in one conversation you have to read it with them go back to the old testament references continue to walk with them all the way through matthew's gospel and matthew outlines how to talk to a jewish person in his gospel message for us that's probably the quickest way i could respond to that any other questions all right this is this is this is special Because this is a summation of the revealer, the rescuer, and the ruler all in one act. This is why Jesus did this at the table. And the disciples were getting their final revelation of what was going to come for them. And so I just want to encourage you guys to go ahead and remove whether your wafer is on the top or the bottom. Would you go ahead and take the the bread out? I do want you guys to know that if you have this type of cup with the wafer on the bottom, this is a gluten-free option um, for those of you that do need that. So it is safe for you. But I would, when Jesus took this out, he he actually broke the bread and then passed it. And so I know it's small, but I would love for you just to take a minute and just snap that cracker in your hand. Obviously, no, you can't release it because it'll end up being all over the floor. But his body was broken for us. And I just would love for us right now to just extend this to one another and remind each other that this was his body broken for you. Would you say that out loud? This is body broken for you. All right. And then let's do this in remembrance of him. And then if you can, take the lid off the juice portion. I'm glad that there's a new covenant, church, if I can just remind us of this. Because in the Jewish world, covenants were always taken in blood. That was how they sealed the deal. It was just what they did. And Jesus is saying, once and for all, my blood is shed, and there's no need for any more shedding of blood. He did this to free us from what really had us enslaved, and that's sin. So let's just hold this up to one another and just say um, this was his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And let's do this in remembrance of him. then we join in with a long tradition of the the declaration of the mystery of christ um you know where we say christ has died christ is risen and christ is coming again so would you say that out loud together with me now christ has died christ is risen and christ will come again let's stand up for our closing benediction we're getting closer i hope to the days when we can actually touch hands again as a family But right now, if we could just extend hands to people around us, if you are married or you're in a quarantine environment with people and you can touch them and we can just vicariously live through your physical touch. But here's, here's our benediction. As we go from here today, may we never forget that he is our Lord and our God. There's nothing more we need to be reminded of today. He is our Lord and he is our God. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you, guys.